Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the U.S. Sports Podcast with me, Max Whittle, where I am excited for the new NBA season, which starts on Tuesday, this Tuesday, what a doubleheader we have to start off the new season. Warriors host the Rockets. Before that, the Celtics, Kyrie Irving, head to Cleveland. How did they figure this out before the trades even happened? This is the game we wanted to see. Kyrie goes back to Cleveland to face the new look Cavs. Plenty to come on the show today. I'm going to give you my six or seven Hot topics, as we as we'll call them, as I've just called them, which I shouldn't have, uh, going into the new season. And then special guest Luol Deng, currently the Lakers, of course, Great Britain fame, doing great things in the NBA. Deng, uh, he's going to be my special guest. He was here back in August. Uh, his Deng camp, his annual Deng camp, which is held at Crystal Palace National Sports Centre. I went down there to speak to Deng about the camp and his career and, and how long he thinks he's got left. Growing up in London is the most fascinating thing that he talks about uh, and the, the friendships he made to, to this day that still stand when he grew up in London. And apologies for the literal radio silence. I've been working on a couple of projects that I'm excited to share with you. One of them is already out, both for Monday Morning Quarterback, Sports Illustrated. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to make two films for the MMQB. The first one was the 24-hour series. We trailed Shard Khan, Jaguars and Fulham FC owner. It turned out to be for three days. We were on his yacht. Uh, when I say we, it was Tim Rohan, the journalist at MMQB, and myself filming it. Tim was writing a piece, and he's got he's got a great 5,000 or so word piece on the on Shard's life, uh, and my video is on top of it. So go check that out on SI. We went on his yacht. We went to the Fulham game. We went to Wembley to watch the Jags. And amidst all of that, when Shard was here, Donald Trump had his comments about NFL owners and how they should sack fire any player taking a knee during the national anthem. And obviously, uh, if you haven't seen what happened with Shard Khan, I would urge you to to watch the film first because we were tailing him the entire time, and Shard obviously stood. Uh, binding arms with his players on the field during the National Anthem at Wembley before they went on to beat the Ravens 44-7. to This Jags team, by the way, looking good. The second project I've just uh, sent in a first version. It should be live before the first Twickenham game of the International Series. That's the Rams and the Cardinals. So it's going to be dropping on MMQB shortly before that. Uh, it's about a fan, uh, a British NFL fan called Dan Nightingale. He's a comedian, lives up in St. Anne's-on-Sea, up in Lancashire. And the story really is to show the U.S. audience and everywhere else, of course, people that love the NFL, just exactly what it's like to be an NFL fan in the U.K. And and this isn't your generic, we want a franchise, you know, this is going to work. There's nothing against a franchise. Forget the logistics. We want to see a franchise. Dan has got a very split view about it. He does want to see a franchise, but there's more to it than that. It's the journey of the NFL fan, especially for someone who lives so far from London. You know, we followed him all the way from the morning. He left his house at seven o'clock. 
He went to Manchester. He connected there and went down to London. They missed the connecting train. They got to Wembley. They missed the tailgate. They got into the ground. And we got down on the field before the game. And he's, he's a New Orleans Saints fan. This was the Saints-Dolphins game. And he saw his Saints come out of the tunnel. It was great to see how excited he was. And to actually live that fandom for a day. Because I'm usually covering the games, which is obviously great. But it was nice to see what fans do and afterwards in the bar watching the games it was just the camaraderie and the the reality that when i the, i think the the biggest moment where i saw that the nfl is such a big part of our culture now our sporting sporting culture here was in the wembley tavern after the game you've got fans watching the ravens steelers game at 6 p.m they've just come out of wembley and watched a live nfl game they've all got different jerseys on they're watching the games they don't get tired of it it's a whole day it's a celebration and my favorite line from dan before i before i move on he was talking about how the day itself, it's not about the, the teams, even though there's so many jerseys out, it's not about the team so much as it is a celebration of the NFL. So check that out. Go and watch Shah Khan 24 hours and read Tim Rohan's piece and the fan piece with Dan Nightingale will be dropping soon. Before we get to Luol Deng, the NBA season starts this Tuesday. Golden State, Houston and Cleveland, Boston. Number one point I'm going to make today, I'm going to start with the faces in new places. There was so much movement this summer. It was uh, probably the busiest NBA summer I've seen since I've started covering the sport. Kyrie Irving to Boston is the obvious one to start. You've just lost two of your best defenders in Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder. And you've lost Isaiah Thomas, Jarebko, Amir Johnson, Kelly Olynyk. Kyrie Irving is there though and you have Gordon Hayward who you added earlier in the summer Al Horford it's a team that I think can compete with Cleveland now absolutely they can challenge the Cavs with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving but for Kyrie to come out recently and say Boston is a real live sports city Kyrie you won here no one kicked you out of Cleveland you don't need to directly attack the city of Cleveland okay if he does just say to about Boston it's a real life sports city and he doesn't mention Cleveland and how you know you would go out at night and it would just be completely different. If he doesn't mention Cleveland, I think fans in Cleveland would still see this as a jab at the city of Cleveland. But Kyrie Irving was not thrown out. He was not traded. He was never trade bait. Kevin Love, of all people, could probably say something negative about the city of Cleveland as and if and when he does leave. But for Kyrie to do this, the team has given him everything. They brought LeBron in. He won a title, hit the game-winning shot. He will be getting boos when he goes into Cleveland. And that's not what we imagined when we saw Kyrie Irving hit the game-winning shot in the 2016 NBA Finals. So that's your first big one. My point being that the the Celtics are now a legitimate team. If they can work things out, they've got a great coach. Um, And it it almost feels like, and I know this is, you know, Isaiah Thomas in Cleveland has, has had little attention because he's, probably going to return in January the the hip issue is still bothering him but everything he went through last season and I know sports are business so if Thomas says he's never going to speak to Danny Ainge again fine why should he but it is a business except that we're not talking about the effectiveness that the effect Thomas could have in Cleveland when he's back healthy with LeBron with Love with Tristan Thompson with Jay Crowder who is by the way probably the best two-way wing player that LeBron's had since he returned to Cleveland. Isaiah Thomas in Cleveland, if he can play to his 30 points per game average talent that he did last season, that's a huge addition. That's an incredible addition. I know Kyrie Irving is four or five years younger than Thomas. 
But Kyrie Irving is not a team player. Thomas will make you better as well as score the ball. So I'm intrigued to see, and I'm, I'm just confused a little by the little fanfare that that's got Thomas going to Cleveland. Now, in Oklahoma, we have Carmelo Anthony and Paul George with the Thunder. My God, has Sam Presti done a great job since Kevin Durant left. But this is an AAU team. Don't make any mistake about it. Paul George is a great foil for Westbrook. We've talked about that. That move happened a while ago. With Carmelo coming in, you're always going to have one bad defender, and that's Melo, <laughs> no apologies to Carmelo, and one offensive, bad offensive player on the court in Andre Robertson, who shoots, what, 40% from the free throw line. Obviously, staggering minutes, lineups can change things, but generally you're going to have Robertson and Carmelo starting games. So can Carmelo defend? Can they get around that in the playoffs? Because that's when it's most important. Can Anthony adjust to being the third guy? He's never been less than the first guy. With an alpha male like Russell Westbrook, I expect him to seethe to Westbrook. But this is an AAU team. And OKC can try and take on Golden State the way the Cavs have tried in the past, the way the Spurs have tried in the past, and that's to go with size. I mean, if you look at this lineup, Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony, Patrick Patterson... And Steven Adams. That is a big physical lineup with Patterson there as a leader, as a screen setter, as a corner three shooter. It's a good team. I think they're going to finish above the Rockets. I really do. And moving on to the Rockets, segue, Chris Paul to Houston. The question I have and I always had since this move has gone down, can his mid-range game exist in D'Antoni's system? Because as we know, the three most important things in Mike D'Antoni's offensive system are three-point shots, layups and free throws. And Chris Paul is a great pick-and-roll player. He's a great mid-range shooter. He is a tough defender. Can he fit with James Harden, who became a great point guard last year? But Daryl Morey, the GM there, is always in. And it's about star power. We saw it with Dwight Howard and James Harden. Now we're seeing it with uh, Chris Paul. They've got to ride Clint Capella. That's the big three now. But they lost Patrick Beverly. They lost Sam Decker. They lost Montrez Harrell. Beverly's the was the heart of that team. So it's going to be... It's going to be fun to see how Paul mixes in, and it's the Western Conference, so no help is given in the Western Conference. A couple, couple more in the addition section. Jimmy Butler to Minnesota. Obviously, now you have a, you have a good lineup. I'm not as high on Minnesota as a lot of, a lot of people are. Butler, Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jeff Teague. Let's just say they can't shoot the three. <laughs> Butler will give them a closer. This is, this is a young team, and they lost a lot of games down the stretch at the end of last season, and... If you play bad defense, which is what Minnesota did last season, you can blame it on two things. They're young or they're not clued into winning enough. And Andrew Wiggins, who's just signed that huge contract, exactly the same as Joel Embiid's, which was, I think, five years, 148 million. Him, along with Anthony Towns, and Towns has proved to be a future MVP. Wiggins is a great scorer, but not an efficient player. The two of them have to become better defenders. Jimmy Butler will aid that. He will not let them coast in games. But if they want to take themselves seriously or be taken seriously, they need to start playing defense because winning teams play defense. If you are a good defender or you try and play defense, it shows that you're for the team. If you just score and don't play defense, it shows you're for yourself. So that's the question I have in Minnesota. And obviously we can't leave this section without talking about Rudy Gay to San Antonio and my favorite move of all time, Danilo Gallinari to the Clippers. I'm going to leave that point hanging and move on to the next one. The changes in the NBA. So tanking. 
The worst three teams will now have the same chance of getting the number one overall pick, 14% for the top three or the worst three teams in the league. And the worst team, which could only drop to fourth in the lottery uh, before this, well, actually, all these moves, all these changes go into effect in the 2019 draft. But the worst team can now drop to fifth in the draft. It was it was fourth before that. I don't think this stops tanking because doesn't this make a fringe team tank more to get in there into the top into the worst three teams? If you are say 11th, even 10th in your conference with 25 games to go and there's a big enough gap between you and the 8th seed in the playoffs where you say all right, if we finish 13th in this conference, we will get a 14% chance, the same as the worst team and the second worst team as getting the number one pick. I think you'll tank. But it does make it less obvious to tank because you know that you're not guaranteed the number one pick. But that's always been the case, really. The lottery balls don't usually fall the way they should. Um, resting is another thing that the league has changed. Adam Silver can now fine teams up to $100,000 for resting healthy players. And it will be encouraged to do so if you have to rest your players at home. So we don't see what we saw last year in Memphis when Kevin Love, LeBron James and Kyrie Irving all sat out for Cleveland. Memphis fans were very sad and I would be too if I was holidaying in Memphis, which I probably never will. So how does the commissioner prove that... This is my question. How does the commissioner prove that LeBron James has the man flu? How does he prove that LeBron James, Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson all have the man flu all at once? Skiving has been a skill for centuries and... I don't understand how if Cleveland say or any team says our two stars have caught a stomach bug, they've got, you know, everything in the, I don't want to say anything disgusting on this podcast, but you can imagine what they could list a lot of things. Does Adam Silver have a team of doctors or medics going in to check on them? I don't know how he's going to measure this. And I think the, the, the point here is that these players will be from the best teams. These if you're fined $100,000, it's because you are the Golden State Warriors and you were playing on ESPN on a Sunday night. It's not going to be... If the Memphis Grizzlies rest Mike Conley and Mark Gasol on the road against the Orlando Magic on a Wednesday night, which is not televised nationally, I don't think they're going to be hearing from the commissioner. All-Star Game voting has also changed. Leading vote-getters from each conference, and last year, to remind you, Steph Curry was the leading vote-getter in the West, LeBron James in the East, no surprises there. If that's the case this year, those two will be anointed team captains and pick their rosters regardless of conference. Now, Curry has already said that he would pick his Warriors teammates if he was captain of the West. Will it make players play harder because they've been picked? I doubt it. I mean, you can't put money on this game because they're all very rich already. You can't limit the dunks because it's all about the dunks. I think we should just go shirts and skins and stop trying to change it. But it will... This is what happens now that they've changed the All-Star game. Everyone will tune in to watch this draft or this selection show. You have to televise it. You have to take advantage of the fact that you have Stephen Curry deciding between Kevin Durant and LeBron James. You have LeBron James deciding whether he's going to take Kyrie Irving or another point guard. It's going to be fascinating. The All-Star game will still probably not be. And something to keep an eye on for the playoffs going forward... Reseeding 1 through 16 is in the pipeline. Adam Silver is thinking about this conference regardless, like the All-Star game. If you have the best record in the two conferences, you'll be number one, and so and so on and so forth. It will be 1 through 16, split between East and West. 
that raises a whole lot of scheduling issues. The, the league would have to balance schedules a lot more than they currently do. I like the existing way. The East won't be bad forever. It will be even worse when James joins the Lakers. There is a crowded Western Conference as well. 5 through 12 is nuts. Assuming Golden State, San Antonio, Houston and Oklahoma are top four in the West. There are seven or eight teams, if you include the Mavericks, which I don't, chasing four playoff spots. That's Denver, Minnesota, the Clippers... New Orleans, Utah, Portland, and Memphis. The West does not... It doesn't, it doesn't give you any favours. It doesn't help you out at all. But the question everyone has is, does any of this matter because of Golden State? Michael Jordan just told the magazine Cigar Aficionado, there'll be one or two great teams and 28 garbage teams. Now, I'd like to know what cigar Michael Jordan is smoking or was smoking at the time of this interview because he has just called his own team, the Charlotte Hornets, a garbage team. And am I right in saying that during the 90s, the Bulls won six championships and were the great team in the league, the one great team for most of this? They were never not favourites during the finals. It was pretty predictable that the Bulls were going to win titles, okay? And if we have the two best teams playing in the finals... For a fourth straight year, the Warriors and the Cavs, I'm fine with that. Because let's be honest, unless you're a diehard fan of a certain team, I get it. You're going to be you're gonna be pissed. If the, if the regular season means absolutely nothing, there's no intrigue, there's no hope. Of course things can change. Steph Curry can roll an ankle. Isaiah Thomas might be out for the whole season. LeBron James might have the first injury of his career. But I would like to see, come the finals in June, when you're staying up late in the UK to watch these games... The best two teams. I want the Cavs and Warriors. Shouldn't MJ be able to compile a super team anyway with him as the headmaster? You know, Malik Monk is a great shooter, but he's complaining. He's he, he can directly impact the Charlotte Hornets' future at least. Never before did we have two teams face each other in three consecutive finals, and now we're already shifting to inevitable mode for a fourth Cavs-Dubs last dance. But I'm fine with that. The Warriors... You know, they brought Iguodala and Livingston back. Nick Young's going to be reborn and, and unable to club in LA. Omar Asic is a great shooter. And, and you've got the guys we know about. You know, I'm just praying for Steve Kerr and his health. And also, I want to see a JaVale McGee 3. Because he was splashing on Instagram during the summer. And I, I love those videos of centers who definitely can't shoot in games swishing consecutive threes it's great entertainment but let's be honest that we don't take it too seriously we're going to get to Luol Deng momentarily I just wanted to say one more thing what are we watching on opening night because Celtics at Cavs Rockets at Warriors doesn't get any better and you've got the TNT crew I love Ernie Johnson just listen to him call the, the baseball and it's bizarre he's so good at, he's so good at baseball and then you're, you're seeing him in a studio with Shaq uh, and, and Charles Barkley of course but all eyes, momentarily at least, will be on what happens prior to tip-off because the national anthem has, has gone from, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking, sitting down during the national anthem in pre-season. A journalist finally notices. Like, no one, no one notices what Kaepernick's done. Then a, then a journalist sees it, reports it. The conversation goes on and now we have owners involved. We have Jerry Jones involved. We have the president of the United States involved and not in a good way. Uh, I would add the anthem what will happen and what will Adam Silver do because the difference between the NBA and the NFL where the NFL it's not mandatory to stand for the anthem you have to stand for the national anthem for the US and Canadian anthems in the NBA but Adam Silver is closer to his players than perhaps any commissioner so I would expect him to get ahead of this speak to his players he's probably already done this because once the season starts they're very busy and work out the best way 
to make sure this doesn't affect the product but rightfully respects the players and their justified protest because Adam Silver of course he's the commissioner he if he is he understands business he understands the league as a business and it's a thriving one the NBA has superstar power the NFL has struggled with that for a long time now you know baseball can you name me a superstar player if you're a teenager in the states and and you follow it from afar you know who Steph Curry is you know LeBron James the NBA has to protect its product, but Adam Silver understands the players' rights. He cares about his players. He has relationships with his players. So expect there to be some sort of unity shown during the National Anthem on opening night. Right, let's get to my special guest today. Luol Deng was in London back in August. I was with him in Crystal Palace to talk about growing up in this wonderful city. And how many years has he got left? He's with the Lakers at the moment. It was a disappointing season for Deng last year. Let's hear his thoughts. We've got 20 great minutes with Luol Deng. So we're here at the Deng Camp in Crystal Palace, South London, with the man himself, Lord Deng. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Doing great. Coming back to London, this camp, how, how many years has it been running for now? I think 12 or 13 years. Uh, the concept of, we changed it to Top 50 about four, this is the fourth one, so four years ago, but the whole Deng Camp has been about 13 years. The selection process, first of all, and how you get a spot at this camp, people want to know about that. How, how do you get here? So I have guys, obviously, that run the camp, uh, that are in touch with the coaches uh, all over the UK. And what we do is uh, we keep tabs on players and ask uh, coaches um, if they have players that they think should be in this camp. And then we ask around and we watch the players as the year goes on. And now that they're here, we collect data and, um, and know, you know how the year is going throughout the year. And that's how really the top 50 is selected and all the coaches come together. And all the coaches here actually are from here except maybe two or three. Uh, they come together and they decide those are the top best, uh, 50 best players. And these kids lucky enough to be here, what sort of questions do they ask you typically um, about your career or any advice? Yeah, I think most of it is what, the, what did it really take to get there. I think everybody knows everybody thinks they're working hard until you meet someone else who's actually doing double what you're doing and then you realize uh, that I could actually go to another level and these kids really want it it's just a concept of understanding how to and hard work necessarily in your own terms doesn't mean it's hard work in someone else's terms so it's really it's about learning what it really takes and for them to have an NBA player that's done it for so many years, um, they realize you must be doing something right, and they try to understand what that is. And when you walk in here, you see the hashtag who will be number one and the Deng Top 50. Is that a kind of culture you're bringing to the table, saying, look, guys, you try and be the best at this camp? Yeah, it's more for if you try to show up here and try to be number one, just when you show up, you're probably not going to be number one. Uh, it's a concept that we developed to really two months ago, three months ago, or even at the end of this camp. Uh, something that, you know, that could be inside you. It could really burn you that you want to be number one, and it pushes you every day to work hard, and you set standard for yourself. And by the time you try to be number one here, you might become number four or number ten, uh, but you actually realize that your game got better. You end up maybe getting a scholarship or playing professionally uh, in Europe. Um, and to us, it isn't really about the kid leaving here being number one. It's a kid actually improving from when he first decided that he was coming to this camp to when he leaves. How do you evaluate talent? Do, do you feel like you're becoming a coach as well, or you already are one? 
You know, I leave the ranking to the coaches that are watching the kids 24-7. My whole job is I don't see any kid better than the other one. I just, what I do is, in my mind, okay, this kid might be more advanced, but I come in and I teach. Um, I teach a few moves, I teach a few tricks, I watch the kids. It might be a good shooter, so I look for their weakness more than anything. I always tell the kid, you can shoot or you can dribble, but let's work on this, spend more time on this, you know. So for me, I'm actually walking around looking for what they're weak at instead of what their strengths are. And I'm going to praise them for being good, but I'm always going to point out. I'm always going to let you know that you're not there yet. And spending a good portion of your childhood in this area, in London, do you have flashbacks every time you come back to do this camp? What's it like in your head? Every time I walk in, I look around and I see Dang and the kids and everything. And I know this, uh, it wasn't hard, it wasn't easy for me to really get in the gym. Uh, this gym was always busy. London Towers played here for a while. Uh, there's always badminton, there's uh, handball, there's five-a-side. It was really hard and there's times where I would sit outside right there on that door and I couldn't get in until someone walks out and I actually put a piece of something at the door. And as soon as the court is empty, I would come in and work out until the next shift comes in. Um, and it, it took hours. Sometimes I sat out there two, three hours just waiting for badminton to finish so I could get on the court to play. And for me, I always have a special place in this uh, gym because now... Um, they so want to help every kid, uh, and, uh, and a lot of it has to do with they really realize how much this place means to me. I live, you know, five, ten minutes from here, and it's a walking distance, really. So for me to be here doing this camp and working with Crystal Palace and giving me this opportunity is, is amazing. Even when I was playing, working out, I didn't think I would have a camp here, uh, but that's what ended up happening. You didn't fancy badminton or swimming then? I actually fancied swimming. Uh, Badminton I played around, but I really never <laughs> took it serious. Uh, but I never really got into it, honestly. I just I have friends that play badminton, and I never really... I got into ping pong and all that, but I never got into badminton. So so what's the first thing you do when you arrive back in London? Get my mom to cook food. <laughs> honestly, the first thing I do is get my mom to cook food. Second thing I used to do is... Uh, go around and see everybody in the neighborhood just knock on the door and all my old friends uh, seeing everybody barbershop the stores to them it's amazing where I'm at now uh, when I was that kid who walking by the store saying hi to everyone uh, I remember at my barbershop I used to walk by the barbershop and uh, my barber would always call me in and it's like, hey man, go to the store and get everyone these drinks. And he would tip me like, you know, a couple bucks. And now I see them, you know, and it's just to me to, to have a foundation like that. It's just something that no matter where I go, I could never have that. And uh, that's always special to me. What's the dish that your mom cooks? Uh, it's South Sudanese food. So it's a lot of it. If I single out one thing, she's going to get mad. But there's this one thing that she makes uh, with peppers. Um, and rice and mixed vegetables um, and that's my favorite dish. I'm intrigued as well those conversations you have at the barbershop or the local store have they changed since you've become a professional player? I mean they they have the the right to always make fun of me and bring back stories because no one else can uh, but it's definitely they're very proud um, they still don't really know much about basketball um, you know, they think I've made it because I'm just taller than everybody. Uh, since I'm like one of the tallest in my neighborhood, which I'm okay with. 
but but it's really it's refreshing to me how much they care because I come back and they're for years there were Chicago Bulls supporters and you could go anywhere and you would see Chicago Bulls hat and t-shirts in my neighborhood and then I go to Cleveland for three months and they're all Cleveland fans and then Miami became the team um, in, in the neighborhood and now it's the Lakers so it's really to me it just shows me that no matter how far I am there's people actually watching me and just how I do makes them proud so it's always in the back of my mind to push myself Walking around the streets here, what do people tend to say to you if they recognize who you are? No, people are excited. Pictures, uh, they're proud. It doesn't happen often. Uh, it happens more around South Norwood, Croydon and uh, Brixton uh, because there's a buzz and people talk about it. So when they see me back, you know, they're excited. A lot of other neighborhoods, it was, you just got to run into a basketball fan. But to me, that's my favorite part about London. Um, I could go anywhere and I'm just this tall guy. And it's, it's, I don't think people understand it. Um, for me, being in Chicago for so long, I can't go to Chicago and just relax. Um, and I appreciate the fans loving me, but I also love the fact that nobody knows me when I'm home. And it just gives me time for my friends and family. You just come back from the Africa game. Um, I'm intrigued to know what teammates that you played with there that haven't been to Africa before, what do they say about the country? No, the, the continent of Africa has so much changed. I think Africa surpassed the stories. I think a lot of people have stories of, you know, Africa being a country where everybody's struggling, Africa being a country where you got to help everyone. But Africa actually is moving in a direction where everyone would want to be. So the economy, the creativity, uh, what's going on in Africa, this, the... Uh, the culture, everything, it's really a good time to be there uh, right now. And I think a lot of people are surprised when they go. And all my friends that went for the game, they can't believe how beautiful it is and what's going on in Africa. And I think a lot of people are missing out because the stories of Africa always, almost needs a refreshing. It's almost like a website page where you have to hit a refresh button because people are just relying on stories they heard a long time ago. But it's not what it is. It's almost like, um, you know, if you tell somebody about Brixton, who's used to go to Brixton a long time ago, but Brixton is not Brixton anymore. It's this totally different atmosphere now. It's all avocados and brunches, right? It's, it's all there. It's all good times, uh, all hippies. <laughs> Can you name your all-time... Thank you. Can you name your all-time African NBA starting five? All-time NBA starting five? African players. Okay. I would have to say Manu Bo, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, Dikembe, Luar Deng. Who would be my fifth player? You haven't got a guard at the moment. You need someone smaller, right? I'm a guard, but uh, I would say... Ooh. Ooh. I left Joe Kim Noah out. I left Tawas Afalosha out. I don't know. I have to come back to that one. There's a couple of guards now that are young. There's uh, Oladipo. There's Moutier. There's Schroeder. Um, it's so many young guards now so I really I don't want to put them in the starting five yet but eventually there will be you'll be fine with those four pillars I think you'll be fine yeah, um, that's, that's, that one is enough for now you mentioned Manute Bowl there how much of an influence was he on, on not just you but your, your family your brothers no no huge huge I think what he's done just to try to help people it really helped me a lot the fact that 
he wanted to improve the game of basketball and help people in South Sudan. And because of he helped my brothers, they gave me an opportunity to really uh, be taught by my brothers and fall in love with this game. I recognised yesterday, I realised, sorry, NBA 2K18, they've now got all-time rosters for all 30 teams, and you're on the Chicago one alongside the likes of Jordan and Pippen, Rodman. Where do you think you rank Chicago all-time? I have to, people have to go to numbers. Uh, you have to go and look at the numbers. I think for me, I've always been not outspoken. I don't talk much about what I've done. I let things, because uh, I've gone quiet. Um, Throughout my career, I think people forget what I was able to accomplish. But if you look at Chicago Bulls, all-time scoring, rebounding, uh, assist leaders, minute leaders, um, I'm probably in top five in all of those. So, How do you think the league's changed since your rookie year to, to right now? It's become more of a scoring league. I think before it was more of a defensive league. I think now it's uh, entertaining and for viewers and people that don't know the game rather see scoring. So the game has really gone into, uh, there's a lot more fouls call. Uh, defensively, you can't touch the guy as much as you want to aggressively. Uh, so it's very, the game has become very fast and entertaining, which it should be. I think for the game, the growth of the game and where it's at now, uh, players have to be very skilled and you have to be really good at something to be on the floor. So. And if you had to pick one skill of yours that you think you've improved the most over your career so far, what would that be? I think I had to start off, I was a driver and I had to change my game into a shooter. Uh, so I would definitely say my shooting. It's been a, a funny season in LA, the last couple of seasons actually, and they're obviously evolving. Magic Johnson comes in and then you had the whole sitting down with Mozgov and yourself in March. How would you sum up that first season with the Lakers? I didn't like it. Obviously, I don't like losing to begin with but also to be in a situation where uh, I had to be set down because I'm a vet um, is something that the team has the right to do whatever they want but as a competitor I never want to sit down I always want to play and I've always no matter what I go through I always bounce back so for me uh, it's something that I had to just uh, swallow my pride and go with the what the team is trying to do um, and that's you know um, play the younger players more and it is what it is but for me I, I really can't have another season where I would be asked to sit down I wouldn't want to do that What do you make of Lonzo Ball? I have to see him play uh, I have to play basketball with him uh, I like what I'm seeing and how he's handling everything and the pressure uh, the NBA game is so much different than preseason he's going to have to work very hard but I think he has the ability to be a great player so for me, I haven't watched him as much as I would like to, but I'm really looking forward to uh, practices and just seeing how he plays and try to really understand how to be, you know, most effective playing alongside him. But for him, it's going to be NBA. Uh, NBA isn't easy; it's a roller coaster, and it's really players that can handle that, players that last. Did you play in a summer league? No. Do you think we overreact to summer league? Yes. Why? Because it's really, uh, Summer League is for the new players, it's uh, for the young players. I think they deserve the attention that they get. But Summer League, it's nowhere close to what the NBA game actually is. Um, it's totally two different things. I think Summer League is more of, um, I would pretty much say, if you take all the young players uh, in the NBA, the rookies, um, and maybe the sophomores, 
and you just create a, a week of uh, games with them. That's really what it would be. There's a lot of experience that's not there. Uh, but it's it's good for the players. It's it's almost like welcome to the NBA. And then when practice starts, another notch. And then when game starts, it's another notch. I like how openly you speak. And I'm wondering how much I can get out of a current NBA player if I ask you who you think won between Cleveland and Boston in that trade. Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas. Obviously, Jay Crowder going the other way as well and a couple of picks. To me, I always say wait until they play. <laughs> Honestly, because I don't know what it's going to be like Kyrie and Brandon Haywood or Kyrie in that system. I like uh, Brad Stevens a lot. I like his system. Uh, I've always been a big fan of Kyrie. I think Isaiah Thomas is such a um, creative scorer that it just brings brings another you know creativity to LeBron James and what they could do. Derrick Rose, I think a lot of people are quiet about what's going on. So it makes the trade even more exciting. But to be able to you know, understand that Kyrie didn't want to be there, but to get rid of him and get Isaiah Thomas Crowder and you get the pick, to me, it's just an amazing move knowing that the guy was going to leave anyway. If you know, So I don't know what other situation could have been there where you could have gotten better, not only for next year, but also for the future, knowing that you have the pick. And not only use the pick, but you could also make another trade if by the All-Star break you feel like you need one piece to actually win it. So... Let's see how it goes, but I thought it's a great trade for Cleveland. I'm just actually wondering in my head right now, you're sitting in front of a microphone, you do it so much in the locker room. How do you handle the media over an 82-game season with everything that goes into that? I think for me, it's always been, it is what it is. I think at the end of the day, whatever the media say is what they see. Um, I can't try to fight it or try to correct it. You know, a lot of people feed into what they hear or what they read, and a lot of people feed into what they see and what they know. So for me, it's it's a waste of time for me to worry about that. I think I always got to worry about how my body feels, what the team is trying to do, and how am I playing. That's all I could control. Other than that, bad article, good article, I really don't care. You could go out and write a great article or how great I am or how great of a locker room guy I am it doesn't matter to me you know that's your job to to make that happen and readers read it and you could go out and write a terrible article next day when I see you I'm still gonna say hi I really don't it don't affect me I worked hard to be where I'm at and I know what it takes to do what I do every day so at the end of the day I have to focus on being you know the best I can be Julie noted. Um, back to Chicago quickly. What was your favorite season with the Bulls? I think the season where we lost uh, in a uh, in a conference final where Derek was the MVP and we won 61 games. I think that season for me it was the first season under Coach Tibbs. Uh, it was an amazing season because we were winning so much, but also to have the best player in your team knowing how humble he was but also how hard he worked and how we try to make him better every day uh, pushing him to me that was uh, probably the best year did you feel the Michael Jordan shadow does it still exist and will it exist always no not for you but for the team I think uh, Michael Jordan's shadow exists for the guys that played with him I think for guys that didn't play with him you actually get a chance to you know get the city excited again for what they had before I think for guys that played with him they're always going to be sitting under that Michael Jordan era when it was really their era it wasn't just Michael Jordan 
So Dwayne Wade leaves Miami, goes to Chicago. Did he call you? Did he want advice about the city? Obviously, he's from there anyway. No, no, he did. He wanted advice about the organization and everything. And me and D-Wade are still very close and we talk a lot. And I'm glad he actually had the chance to go to Chicago and play for the, his home crowd in front of where he's, you know, he grew up. So Another former teammate of yours, Chris Bosch, obviously sad, a sad story, but a great player. How is he doing? And, and I'm guessing you're still in touch with him. Yeah, Chris is mentally strong. I think some things in this life you can't control. I think for him, it's a blessing. He played 11, you know, uh, 11 years in the NBA. Or, no, I mean, 13 years in the NBA, 11 years in the All-Star. Uh, so for me, uh, I'm just happy that he got the chance to be as good as he is, got the chance to win championships, got the chance to sign great contracts for his family and how hard he worked. So for me, I'm just so thankful this thing wasn't, uh, this thing didn't happen his first year or even when he was in college or high school. I'm glad he played professionally. He has a great wife and great kids and family. And he's just so blessed. Uh, I'm so happy for him. You've played in a lot of great cities, you know, LA, Cleveland, Miami. Um, where would you say, Chicago, obviously, where would you say was your favorite? I would say I played in Chicago for 10 years. Uh, I love Miami. Uh, LA is great. Cleveland was a great experience. But for me, I got 10 years in one team. Uh, I could never get to know any other city uh, better than I, you know, I got to know Chicago and the people there. All right, last couple now. Um, where are you at this stage of your career? How many years do you expect to play, or are you just going year by year? Yeah, I'm just going by how I feel. I think I'm, I'm 32 now. Um, I started playing when I was 19, so I still got a lot left. So it's really uh, just going by how I feel. I got three years left in this contract, so we'll see how I feel when this contract is done. I'll be in the NBA for 16 years, so we'll see from there. And last, last question, do you see yourself living mostly in London when you're finished, and is this foundation is that going to be a big part of your post-career really depends um i'm single now so when i get married i think it will become two people's decision i can't really you know i don't want to go on and say i'm going to live here and then i end up with a wife that wants to live elsewhere so it really depends on where i want to raise kids what my wife wants to do and all that stuff Lou, thanks for your time thank you i appreciate it Thank you to my guest today, Luol Deng, LA Lakers forward. What a great CV he's got. He's played in Chicago. He's played in Miami. He's played in Cleveland, which is now a championship city. So I can put that on the list. And now he's in LA. Pretty good. He's done pretty well. And he obviously competed for us in the 2012 Olympics in London. So what have we got coming up? Tim Rohan, who I mentioned at the top of the show, the Shah Khan story, 24 hours with Shah Khan. Please go and watch my video on that story and read Tim's words. We are going to talk, me and Tim, uh, extensively in, a, in the next week or so about that story. So we're going to give you a right delve into Shah Khan's life behind the scenes, all the things we heard and saw. It's going to be coming up on this podcast. The World Series is around the corner as well. Ben Reiter of Sports Illustrated. He doesn't know this yet, but I'm going to try and get him on this show because a few years ago, he predicted on SI's magazine front cover that the Astros would be the world champions in 2017. Well, as I speak, they are 2-0 up in the ALCS against the Yankees. So we're going to try and get Ben on the show and talk some baseball because it is the World Series coming right up. And my Dodgers in the NLCS once again. Will they get past the Cubs? We're going to talk baseball 
of course. And the NBA's round the corner, as you know from listening to this show. Please head to iTunes, the US Sports Podcast with Max Whittle. You can review the podcast, rate, subscribe, leave me five stars or however many you want to leave me. Write a nice review. It really helps to get the word out about this show and climb the rankings. I'll speak to you soon. If you want to ask me a question or have a comment about the show, please do not hesitate to tweet me at Max underscore Whittle. I will speak to you next time. Enjoy opening night. Enjoy the baseball playoffs. Enjoy the NFL. Enjoy the hockey. It's a great time to be an American sports fan. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.